Bonjour, mes amis. In the heart of your busy day, find a moment of peace and pleasure at La Madeleine. Imagine a cozy corner of France just for you. Whether you choose to relax by the warm glow of the fireplace or indulge in the art of French conversation on the patio, La Madeleine offers the perfect escape. And now, for a limited time, enjoy La Madeleine's Douai Magnifique for just $9.99. That's a melted-to-perfect four-cheese grilled cheese sandwich paired with a cup of their famous tomato basil soup. It's the quintessential pairing, just right for the season. At La Madeleine, they cherish the French tradition of fresh cuisine, crafted with ingredients and recipes that have been lovingly passed down through generations. It's not just a meal, it's an experience. A little piece of France you can call your own. Find your local La Madeleine at lamadeleine.com. Escape the ordinary. Savor the Douai Magnifique. Visit lamadeleine.com today. Bon appétit. So today on Vulnerable, I have the honor of speaking to Renaissance man Frankie Grande. Now, he is many things. One of the things he is, is the older brother of Ariana Grande. And if it hadn't been for him, I'm not sure Ariana would be the superstar that she is today, although she is amazing. But Frankie is also just, I can't even tell you, a million lives that this guy's lived. He's started sort of as an ensemble in Mamma Mia. He moved on to be a producer. He was a YouTuber, uh, a huge, like reality star and he's now an activist he's sober he's married he has just such a great story and i'm really excited to unwrap all of that today on vulnerable i'm christy carlson romano and this is the vulnerable podcast Frankie, welcome to Vulnerable. It is a podcast where we talk a lot about you and how amazing you are. And I love that for us, don't you? Because you are so awesome. I've recently been seeing you pop up everywhere. And now I look back and I'm like, shoot, he's been there all along. That's the craziest thing. And now I'm trying to think like in my WeHo days, okay, we're talking only, only like a shy, like eight years ago, maybe. Yeah, no, like seven years ago. I lived in West Hollywood and it really does get crazy in WeHo. (laughs) By the way, loved it there for, I would say five years, me and my husband, we would be there. We would, we would get into all sorts of fun trouble because, you know, one side is like Santa Monica where we were. And then the other side is sunset. So it's like, you could choose to have any kind of night you want to have when you're in your twenties, like living in WeHo. Totally. I just can't believe that we didn't get to run into each other, but did we? No, I <laughs> mean, I wasn't I, sober. No. I wasn't sober back then. <laughs> but I was also living in New York then. So I was, Aww. yeah, I moved to LA like five years ago-ish. Oh, you so missed me. I missed you running around WeHo. You missed my crazy, crazy Christy. Yeah. My, all my partying <laughs> and all my drinking and crazy days were in Hell's Kitchen. Like that was my. Oh, girl. That was my stomping ground. I moved to LA to get sober. So you would not have ah. seen me tipping around. Well, that's not true. I had a few years there where I was crazy, but it wasn't like a daily thing. That was Hell's uh-huh. Kitchen for me. I was Hell's Kitchen every night, every night, every night, every night. Okay, Frankie, hold on. We need to talk about Hell's Kitchen, okay? And this is all going somewhere, I promise you. I'm here just right here. Me. I'm here right here right just now. I'm me. in Hell's Kitchen, so just so you know. Oh, I love Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. Hell's Kitchen has great food. Uh, shot in the dark. Do you know a girl named Zoe Murphy? I don't know. Do she I? did. I don't know. She was a big club promoter, but in Hell's Kitchen. So super niche, niche. Got it. And I went to high school with her. And then a friend of mine named Pedro, who was my hairdresser when I moved back to New York after a really bad breakup in my 20s, partying as Crazy Christy. Yep. I ended up doing, um, while Naked Boy Singing was at New World Stages, I did Love. a show with Betty Buckley, yeah. I did a show called White's Lies with Tuck oh. Watkins. And it was like this fun thing. And it was, it was, it was basically glorified summer stock, but it was at New World. What? So, and you know how it is with summer. Everybody is just going crazy if they have to be stuck in Hell's Kitchen. It's hot. You're working every day just like yep. normal. But somebody something becomes more sexy about like hotness in the city and like like the air is thick and everyone's just kind of slower. And Hell's Kitchen is such a vibe. There was a couple of really fun rooftop places for people to kind of nestle in and yeah. party. But I mean and Hell's people Kitchen. People just wear less a- and less clothes as the summer oh, progresses. Yeah. So that's oh, great, it's a sexy little scene. Yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah. all dancers and sexy talented people. Yep. And it's like, you're literally in a movie. It's, it's amazing, but it's also super dark. (laughs) (laughs) Can be. It does. The sun certainly does set. 
in New York. <laughs> Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think actually before I got sober, I lived in Hell's Kitchen. And um and then I lived back in West Hollywood. Okay, never mind. There's just been a big same journey yeah, to yeah, sobriety. We, and we've both been in the same places, but at different times, which is crazy. And you know what else is crazy too? Like I wanna I wanna talk about overall your journey in in on sort of your evolution as a performer hmm. and i mean in terms of how much talent you have and no like no bullshit like you you obviously come from a very talented lineage sure. but your talent is is what has made you sort of this like emerging as this hyphenate like this iconic sort of multi-talented person and and I, i'm really attracted to that amongst all the other things you've achieved personally and I, I just feel like there's so much to come as well. So it's hard to know where to start exactly. And I have a lot of crossovers in terms of understanding what some of those journeys might have been like. Hmm. And I'm excited to talk about Shaman. Yeah. And all of that fun. You're still in the happy phase. You know, like that, like honeymoon. Yeah. And nothing and has that's changed. Amazing. It's, it's the Good. same phase because I've just been so, 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 so busy. So. You know, we, oh. we haven't really had time to evolve and grow as a married couple because we literally got married, went on a three-day honeymoon, and then I started rehearsal and have mm -hmm. worked nonstop until we opened last week. So, like, I mean, you know, sometimes people say that that is the secret to a good marriage is that, you you know, you don't lose yourself in the marriage and that, like, you stay busy. Some people actually really like not even being in the same, like, like city, city as yeah, the person. Like, I've sometimes separation. But- it's about what works for you right, in the long exactly. term and your communication styles become more and more integral to, yeah. you know, building your life together, building, you know, a family and all that shit. Mm. So I digress. That's what podcasts are for, digression. We never stay on track. <laughs> we came to the right place. Okay, so Frankie, when did you when did you first start performing then? Like let's just take it back. Take it back to the beginning. So my very first thing that I ever did was Bye Bye Birdie. It was in fifth grade and I auditioned to be in Bye Bye Birdie. And I remember that I was auditioning with, uh, I decided to sing Bette Midler's The Wind Beneath My Wings because <laughs> no one knew then that I was a raging homosexual. I'm not sure how, but I <laughs> was there and I was with my little high voice. I was like, you are the wind beneath my wings. And the director was like, <laughs> thank you so much. And I went, fly. <laughs> I was like, thank you so much. And I was like, ah! <laughs> this is my best Bette Midler impersonation. And I, um, uh, and she's on the mind because the Hocus Pocus 2 came out, the trailer came out today. So Bette Midler is fresh <gasps> on the mind. It did? Yes. D weren't they just filming in, um, I thought they were filming in New LA. York. Oh, was it New York? They were I filming in LA? I just thought, I thought I saw people posting on TikTok about how they, they converted their neighborhood to like, a fall set or something. I don't know. Maybe they uh, I don't remember where it was, I but know. I saw the TikTok that you're talking about. I, I saw the the, yeah. the part, like the whatever the um theater scene was. Whenever they're she's, they're performing the new song, which is yeah, uh, one way or another, I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you, get you, get you, get you. So I'm excited to hear about the other song. I'm Oppa. excited. Oppa, what are you so doing? we're big Bette Midler fans. We get that, and Bette you Midler were, fan, and I landed the role of Conrad Birdie in Bye Bye Birdie. So I was. The lead in my very first show and then I was just hooked talons mm -hmm. in like this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life I had I just I loved it so 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 much and I was like I will continue yeah. to do theater for forever because there's nothing okay. quite like it there's really nothing quite no. like live performance it's just amazing you do I mean it's hard to say what what part of it is is better than another part but it's interesting how all of the parts can be so gratifying all at once and yeah. then it's this it's this chaotic like loving unconditional mm -hmm. thing and it just makes you want to keep showing up and working your ass off i know there's a chick who used to be in hamilton that's big on tiktok do you know who i'm talking about no amber i follow her and she's now she's in funny girl and she does a lot of her backstage antics you know and it, and it shows that fun. it is fun backstage like you can have fun but she'll talk about what it's like to do the grind of eight shows a week and stuff and like it is it is a lot of work on your body and yep. soul and and if you don't end up liking certain people in the cast like that can be a whole fucking thing oh yeah whole fucking thing oh, thank god we have oh, the man. best cast ever i feel so i'm we are so blessed and we say this all the time like every day like at titanic like we have just the greatest group of people and no one has any beef with anyone, which is really yeah. very, very rare. 
especially because we mm. all know each other for so long and we've, we've been doing this show for like four years in different incarnations. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Titanic, yeah. which is right now, it's at the Asylum in New York City. Yes. I just saw that New York Times did not give it a bad review. Oh, so that's, really, that's good. <laughs> yes. yes. I love it says, that the New York it, Times did not give it a bad review. I like that. Frankie, let me tell you, I don't know about if New York Times still rates for the arts section, but... When I was on parade, because mm. I was the original Mary Fagan, oh, and with Carolee, yeah, my Carolee Carmelo, my auntie, she's my like auntie. I love life. her. I know. I uh, love her so much. We did Mama Mia together for three years. Oh, that's right. Okay, like, how do you not love the icon that is Carolee Carmelo? Oh, she's I mean, she's her voice. Yeah, no, she's 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 amazing. So I was blessed to be on that stage, and that was, you know, before my Disney stuff. So we basically had to close Parade because of the New York Times review. And also, in addition, Livevent went bankrupt, and we couldn't find another sponsor due to that bad review and Rosie O'Donnell. We went on Rosie O'Donnell's show, and she panned it. Really? She panned it. Oh, she panned it while they were on the show. They're like, she's like, yeah, it's not a great show, but this is Carolee Carmella and Brent Carver, everybody. Like, it was so trashy and bad for us. And then, and then basically it just, it just kind of plotted a course for failure. And yet it had prayed, like a lot of people know it. It's got a cult following. It's, what a, it's a very serious. I go to find all in the hills of Georgia. I yes. I love that show. I love, I mean, yes. I love Carly Carmelo and I love Jason Robert Brown. So therefore yeah. I love that show. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. And I yes. love you. So there you go. Oh, Frankie, I love you too. And I'm oh, so happy to hear you I definitely you saw like, you in it. You did? Okay. For sure. I absolutely saw you in it. It was um, like, I don't remember specifics, but I definitely remember seeing Parade on Broadway. So there you oh, go. Oh, then you saw me. Yeah, you yeah. saw me. I mean, it was only like an eight month run or something. Yep. And I mean, it's devastating when, you know, you're in a show and you love it. And then either they choose not to renew your contract or- Oh yeah, it's tough know. business, man. It is a tough business. And you've got to like kind of have an everything happens for a reason attitude in this business. Cause if not, you will okay. drive yourself absolutely insane. Like, you okay. know, everything happens for a reason that show closed for a reason that New York times review mm-hmm. came out for a reason, you know, absolutely. you didn't book that audition for a reason. Like that is the thing that I struggle with so much as an actor, everything I audition for, I am positive. I will book, which is a horrible <laughs> way to live your life is a horrible way. I'm like, Oh my God, that went so well. They'll be crazy not to cast me. But like, obviously you book 1% of the things you audition for, if that. So yeah, I like, know, depending on how many auditions you get too. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be smaller than that. So um, it's like, it's very easy to do a hundred auditions and only get, you know, book one. So it well, is. But um, Frankie, what I found really interesting about branding and social media, which we can get into, is that I do think you're right about it and how everything lands you in a position of understanding your brand more. I think like growing up in the theater, you got typecasted and that was your brand. You're like, oh, you're a colorateur. You're a baritone. You're a this, you're a that. Oh, you're an ingenue. Oh, you're, you know, you're an understudy. Like you're an understudy purgatory, you know, like there was these weird brands that you got assigned to you sometimes by fate, sometimes just by the way you were built or, you know, there was a reason why you were put in that in that place. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was hard to break out of some of those things, right? When did you start taking all of it seriously? Because I'm doubting you didn't go to like an art school, did you? I went to, so I ended up going to Muhlenberg College. So I decided I wanted to triple okay. major in biology, theater, and dance. Like that's what I wanted okay. to do. My dad's a doctor. I'm obsessed with the sciences. I was a straight A student and I just love biology. So I was like, I'm going to do that. And, and it also made my family very comfortable with me doing theater. Like I think people, like you know like I they no one wanted me to go into the arts so I said fine I'll triple major and okay. and then whatever if I work in theater I'll work in theater and if I don't I'll become a doctor 
And then I was like, okay, okay that's totally fine. So I think you think, shut them up with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you shut them up. People think that like my family was just like, uh, like super into the arts and super like stage mommy. They were not. They assume that, right? Yeah. They, yeah. yeah okay, they were not. Really they were very practical. And I convinced them by getting a biology degree and graduating with a BA and a BS that wow. I would, yeah, that I would be able to do theater. And so that's how I did it. And so that's why like my sister kind of got the free pass to just go straight the theater route because yeah. of me, you know, she would, there yeah. were my mom and, you know, like, well, this one, he's on Broadway. So she like, let her do what she wants to do. Like <laughs> theater, I guess yeah, is yeah, a viable yeah. career. It's funny how older siblings do. They always are. They're so, they're always like, yeah, well, I made it a lot easier for you. Like my, my husband's parents were so disciplinary of him and they, they were so easy you know, they, that he's like, my little brother's got away with everything because yeah. I took all yep. the brothers. <laughs> 100%. They learned yeah. that it's not that big a deal. You know, the parents are like, mm-hmm. you know what? I think that this all matters so, so, so much. But then it's like, you know what? They're going to figure it out. They're kids. That's Let good. them do what they want to do. And then, so, so it yeah. was great. But, but, but anyway, we, I never really had to have that fight with my parents because I had the bio degree. Good. So well. I, I just graduated college and then immediately I booked Boots the Monkey and Dora the Explorer Live and the Equity National Tour. So you, I took my equity card right away and was, you know, upside down on Radio City Music Hall for 6,000 screaming kids on my head being Boots oh, the Monkey. And it was, it was so much fun. It was, the, it was by far <laughs> the best audience I've ever played in my life. And I'll never hear those screams again ever uh-huh. that was wild like in the height was a of moment. the door of the explorer craze like i was boots the monkey on an equity tour crazy so crazy like i had star dressing rooms it was wild oh i see so you were living at a large like it was like living large because it was a new like amazing th- moment it yeah. wasn't like oh we're gonna do like poughkeepsie no. in in a mall nope it was the Pantages and the Atlanta <gasps> Fox and, you know, like it was all 2000 seat houses. Like we never played below yeah. 2000 seats. So, and it was Aww. always packed. So I did get to tour the world at, at a very young age and, and, and be the, be a, so there's only two principal contracts, me and Dora. So it was like, it was just like treated like royalty. It was so fun. Um, oh, I was so amazing. grateful. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and then I came back to the city and with my actor's equity card, I just started going to equity auditions and okay. I booked you didn't have an agent or a manager you were I kind of like I'm just gonna agent, do this agent a child agent so like I had a kid's agent um From so where? I didn't have an adult agent um I don't SEM and M Abrams, maybe? I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. But I would just go to the equity course calls. Like from backstage? Yes. Like yeah, I would backstage. go to backstage, I would show up, I would put my name on a list and there were I remember this very specifically I was number like five hundred and something for the Mamma Mia equity chorus call. And out of those 500 and something people, I booked Broadway from an equity chorus call, which is crazy. Like I've never ever heard that story before. Yeah, I've never heard anyone book Broadway from an equity chorus call. Like that that of my friends, you know, like everyone had some sort of other in or this, that, or the other thing. So like, it does happen. Like it does happen. Good. You know, like an equity chorus call can cast people. People need to have that hope for themselves. You know, speaking of backstage, so backstage is a newspaper that's now, I think it's available digitally. Probably. They had the New York one, they had regional ones, and then they had like a national backstage, which covered like, you know, Summerstock in California, I think was the national one. And honestly, like my mom would, would buy that when I was a kid. And she and I would go back and forth from Connecticut because that's where I'm from. And I would take the train in and eventually I ended up at professional children's school. So I was like in the city going to school for auditions, essentially. But I lived on the train and my mom would literally be circling these backstage yep. and she'd cut them out of the newspaper. And then we'd have to go and show up to like Bernal Telsey or like wherever Ugh. the studios are. You know what I mean? And so like I totally know the life that you lived, but you were living it on your own. And had you, so had you come out, like, like what was your emotional state sort of? Yeah. I came out when I was 21, but I didn't really, I wasn't like uh, as out as I am now. Like, you know, I, I really, it was a long journey becoming, you know, the Frankie Mm -hmm. Grande that, 
shines bright like a Frankie and has rainbows tattooed on his arm. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. It wasn't an overnight situation. It was definitely a gradual progression. And Broadway definitely helped me with that. Like being on Broadway, having all gay friends and like being part of the, the gayest community on the planet who's so supportive and yeah. so loving, like allowed me to start to like discover like, you know what? I like makeup. Like that's weird. Mm-hmm. Like, hmm, I love makeup. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that prior to Broadway. I had no idea that I liked makeup. Okay. You know, then um, I was always a kind of a fashionista, but then I started thinking like, even more uh, risky with my fashions and started to mm-hmm. like, you know, be like, well, I want jewels and this, you know, I was always attracted to like jewelry and stuff, but it just got more and more uh, kind of uh, flamboyant as one would call it. And throughout my time understanding like that it was okay to be this, you know, like growing up in Boca Raton, Florida, I had no idea that it was okay to be gay or what gay was. Like, I did not know what that was. I, there were no gay people at my high school. There were no gay people in my neighborhood growing up. So I went to college and I met like three. There wasn't even that many gay people at Muhlenberg when I went. Um, but then, so it was really Broadway where I got to kind of like, be like, oh, okay, there's a lot of gay people and they're all different kinds. <laughs> Do you remember your first kiss? I mean, my first kiss was with a girl. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like my first actual, kiss you know, with like, a boy. Do I remember yes. my first kiss with a boy? I think. Do I remember that? I don't even know if I remember that. I think <laughs> it was someone in college. No, I okay, don't. So you waited till college? I think it. I think it was someone in college. If I remember okay. correctly, that that was my first kiss uh, with a boy. Yeah. Okay. I don't really so remember. Isn't that while. funny? I remember the girl. I totally remember the girl. Yeah. I remember my first boyfriend. Right. Um, I remember my first like sexual experience, but I don't remember if I right, right, like right, right, my right. first kiss. Like there was no like magical like heart stopper moment, you know, like where I was Interesting. like mm, okay. boy. <laughs> like I don't that's not in my <laughs> it's not in there. Not there at all. Not there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love it. I guess I just asked because I'm like it is interesting. You're right. Because like what you just defined, I can't, obviously we can't speak for every single person, whether regardless of gender and, and, and persuasion. But at the same time, like, I do think that females tend to be like, oh my God, this is my first kiss. I'm going to remember this forever. Right. And we tend, we tend to bookmark it, whether it's positive or negative, I think. And we, it's like, I've been touched in a way that wasn't friendly. It was a romantic touch kind of thing. And so I do think we tend to do that. So I just, I guess, assumed that maybe when you decided to to, to embark on that journey, I mean, that I remember my first remember gay that. sexual experience, but I don't remember if was kissing. I don't remember like a kiss. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't remember. That. Okay, listen. Yeah. I, you know what? I get it. <laughs> like don't remember. I've had two daughters. I, I mama's seen a lot of things. I lived in WeHo. I know things too. Yeah. Um. Exactly. I I don't think it was terribly romantic, but. (laughs) Oh man, forget I love you. All right. So here's the deal. So then you, you were, you were killing it. Was there any drawbacks? Was there competition? Was there haters? Like, were you feeling like you fought typecasting? Like what was going on? Okay. So I definitely, once I was in Mamma Mia and I was kind of in the chorus, I felt like I was going to stay there for the rest of my life. Like, I feel like there Ah. were people who had been there for eight years when I got there, mm-hmm. people that were looking to stay there for the rest of their lives. And it was difficult to get casting directors to take me seriously since I had a steady Broadway paycheck. So, oh, really? you know, uh-huh. like I would show up to, I would still go to equity course calls. I got pretty far through Jersey boys and pretty far through altar boys or my altar boys, I think mm-hmm. was before Mamma Mia. Jersey boys was definitely after, but it okay. was, it was hard for me to get like appointments because they're like, well, he's booked. Mm-hmm. He's booked and blessed and busy. Good for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. eventually I, I, and also like, it was very tough joining a long running show. Like when you mm-hmm. join a company that has been together for eight years, there are many fixed personalities. And so when you enter <laughs> in as with a personality such as mine, it can be very abrasive to certain people. And there were people mm-hmm. I did not get along with. The stage management mm-hmm. and company management was sometimes very, very hard on me, which I felt to be completely mm-hmm. unnecessary. And totally. You know, and I was like, I was like, I don't get it. Like I just I guess it's just like mm-hmm. shit on the new guy. But um mm-hmm. I have you ever been written up by equity? I was written up for being seven minutes late which was um, <laughs> totally fine. 
And I don't really share this story a lot, but I'm going to tell you because it's on my mind. Fuck yeah, but I was we're back, doing it. I was backstage at Mamma Mia and I had done some, I dropped a prop on stage and it broke. And I was being like, kind of like flippant about it because like, you know, whatever it happened, it was like 50 things. And one of the mm-hmm. a fellow course members, like who did not like me at all, was very mm-hmm. angry and put like, went to punch me in the face backstage and called me a faggot. And oh, I ran to company. It's Mama Mia, it's honey. Mama Mia, honey. Like- and he was gay. And he was gay. <laughs> okay. And he was gay. What? Um, yeah. And I ran to company management. Oh, we need to unpack that. I did. I ran to company management and they advised me that we, I would advise you to not take this any further. And I was like, I was almost punched backstage and called a faggot. And you're advising me to not take this any further. And they were like, yes. And I was like, I want to file a report with equity. And they said, no. And I was so young and I didn't know what to do. And it wasn't, there was no me too movement. There was no like nothing for me to fall back on. It was like, they were the powerful people. Mm -hmm. They told me to shut the fuck up. And so I did. And then after that, the next week, they wrote me up for not holding the can to my ear backstage. And I was like, y'all are trying to fire me because Mm. I was trying to make waves because mm. I was almost punched in the face and called a faggot. And Mm-mm. I quit that day. Oh, okay. Yep. It's too often that people are railroaded by management. Yeah. Even if it's their agent, their manager. And, you know, like you're saying, this is a stage manager, company manager. Like, there are people who are authoritative in positions, even though you think you're like, I booked the job. I work on Broadway. This is like the pinnacle of what I do. I'm doing the best that I can. And you should feel like you have a union that's backing you up. I mean, you do. And And I should have just circumvited company management and gone straight to the union. But I didn't yeah. know what mm-hmm. to do. I had no idea okay. what to do, you know? Like, I didn't... So if somebody was in that position now listening to the podcast, what do you think that they should do? I think they should immediately... Like, we have an equity deputy on Titanic, and she's incredible. And she, um, like, mm-hmm. we can ask her questions and be like, hey, is this okay? Is this okay? She's like, let me contact equity. It sends an email. They send an email back. I'm also really good friends right. with the president of equity now. Like, that kind of stuff. Like, go straight to equity. I would say go straight right. To your union representative, do not talk. That's to, what you pay do them. Do not for. talk to company management. Do not pass go. Go straight to equity. File the report. File the report, Absolutely. and then tell company management I have filed a report with equity. Here you go, mm-hmm. and then see what happens. Yeah, I mean it's a working. Even though everything is fantastic and fabulous when it comes to being backstage the and business. all the costumes and all the magic, it's still a business. Producers are making tons of money with every butt. That's in a seat every yeah. single night. And so do the math. The amazing thing about this production, I'm still coming back to Titanic because I think we're doing it right, is we had mm. a sensitivity training course. As a mm. company, we sat and we did a full training course where we were um, told like appropriate behaviors, inappropriate behaviors, and what to do if any of this happens to you backstage, on stage. And then we came up with strategies, you know, like our, our strategy was to go straight to the stage manager first. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, and then discuss how to handle it. And there, there Mm -hmm. were things that happened in rehearsal that were just like little miscommunications, but like we went to the stage manager and they, Mm -hmm. we handled it like, and it was like, wow, Mm -hmm. maybe this sensitivity course thing for an off Broadway show was the best thing that ever happened to our company. We were all like, oh, this is so stupid. Why do we have to be here? This is so dumb, but it isn't, it is great. Right. It works. It's still a work environment. Yeah. Yep. It's a professional working environment and people show up and they work super duper hard. Okay. So you quit Mamma Mia Mm. and now you have more time to focus on trying to do your own thing to be a principal. Yeah. So what happens? So I started producing Broadway shows because I had a friend who was a producer and was like, I'm looking for a producing Mm -hmm. partner. And I was like, that sounds fierce. (laughs) Um, I can just produce the show and I'll be in it. Cool. So I produced Hamlet with Jude Law, which was a massive hit. I produced oh, no big deal. Yeah, La Bette with um, <laughs> Joanna Lumley and David Hyde Pierce, mm-hmm. um, which was mm-hmm. a critical hit. And then I did Born Yesterday with Jim Belushi and Nina Arianda, which was a flop. And so I had my full Broadway producing experience. And uh-huh. I was like, cool, I'm done with that for a while. I put, I'm, I'm back <laughs> into it now, but I, I, took a, I took a step away. Yeah. Moved to LA and lived with my sister while she was starting on Nickelodeon, which was great. Mm-hmm. She needed all the support she possibly could have. You know, I was there to help support my mom and my sister in that very difficult time of like becoming a child superstar. Like that's crazy. 
Uh, so like rally the troops, rally the family, like get everyone together. Wow. They were so lucky to have you, Frankie. Oh my God. I was really happy to be there. Yeah. I was really happy to be there. Oh, wow. I didn't even put two and two together for you because look at what you were able to accomplish. I can't wait. Can we go back to the, you producing three amazing like, what is that like? What do you do? I mean, because you were, you know, you were an ensemble. Yeah, ensemble, yeah. And so what did you did you raise your own capital? Like, what did yeah. you bring to those productions? So, yes, I raised the capital with my producing partner and wow. took lots of meetings and did all that. But I was much oh, more wow. invested as a, like, I was a, more of a creative producer. Like, I remember being at this amazing meeting at Sereno Coin, long table with Sonia Friedman at the end. And I like, like raised my hand and I was like, I actually think that the marketing is strategy is wrong. And literally I said something and it was, it was brilliant, I guess. Cause Sonia Friedman was like, <laughs> who are you? Who is that? Who is that? Mm-hmm. Like, who is that child come here? And then she like took me under her wing and we had a meeting together privately. And so, and like mm-hmm. Sonia Freeman is like one of the biggest Broadway producers like ever of all time, like Tony, 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 yes. Tony. Um, and she's yes. insanely intimidating and unbelievably brilliant. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I just spoke up because I was like, I don't think this marketing is going to reach the people that you guys think that you're going to. And then she was like, who are you? I love you. And so we became okay. friends. And So that was your like first mentor, you would say? Yes, with Sonia Friedman, okay. for sure. And then okay. I got to apply those things to other things moving forward. Like, you know, even like little things like hair and makeup, like the producing team didn't want to provide Nina Arianda with hair and makeup for the cover shoot. And I was like, you guys, mm-hmm. not only are we providing her hair and makeup, we're getting the best hair and makeup team that money can buy for this cover shoot. Mm-hmm. Like, l- like you didn't mm-hmm. know this is the cover um, like stuff like mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. you know, I would bring to the table mm-hmm. where other producers would be like, mm-hmm. we should cut here and here, there. And I was like, yeah, but that's not where we're cutting. We're getting her hair. And yeah. Makeup. And, you know, I would use my contacts to make stuff like that happen. So um, it was fun. I, I I had a good time. Good. Then when I went back to LA, you know, I was like, yeah. you know what? I, I Now I got to, uh, my sister is doing TV. I should be doing TV. Like that's Interesting. what I should do. So like, whereas okay. I led the path in the beginning, then she took over. She she started okay. leading the path. And I was like, all right. I'm oh, gonna- that's right. Because of Henry Danger. Oh, we have to talk about all that stuff. Yeah. Side note about Henry Danger. I actually was able to uh, direct it, my first feature right before I got pregnant with my first. So I guess about like six or seven years ago, which is weird because I wanted to keep directing. We had, you know, Sean Ryan Fox and, and he was, you know, the thing I will say to you about these actors from Nickelodeon is that they hit their marks really, really 100%. Well. You have to. And I don't know about you, but you as a theater actor must have found it so easy to do the sitcom work and to do the physical comedy and to hit your mark consistently. People might not know this, but people who start in theater just have that timing better. Yep. And they're, they're like well-oiled machines when it comes to... Uh, the one thing I will say is that we technically are a little bigger than a lot of actors, like who are starting out more naturally from classes and and then which is perfect for sitcom, <laughs> which yeah. is perfect for and sitcom. Nickelodeon. Don't change a thing. And, yep. Yes, exactly. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So then, when did you start doing the TV? Then I mean, she was doing her thing. But yes. I'm, you know, so thinking actually, about you. The first thing that I did. So I I started I started on YouTube. I see your plaque behind you, like your your YouTube plaque. Yes, we're queen. Work. Yes. It's it's silver. It's silver, but someday, yeah, someday it'll, it'll be, be gold. One day, just say it's <laughs> platinum. It's the same color. Um, That's right. Yeah, it looks the same. <laughs> I am. Um, uh, so yeah, so I started on YouTube and I started, you know, documenting my life every day. And I started doing two videos a week, which you know is exhausting, of vlogging Fucking and exhausting. editing and producing and creating content. And so I did that for two years with no yeah, before anyone was doing it though, too. Yeah, it was right like, at the beginning. Was the I new- was grandpa YouTube. It was like me, Colleen yeah. Ballinger, Glozelle, uh, Jenna Marbles. I love, um, I love her. Yeah, it was like all like those. Todrick. Like, Todrick, of course. Todrick. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, Low Anthony. Uh, little low Anthony. So now your your grandpa YouTube. Is yeah, like- <laughs> yeah, I call it grandpa YouTube. Yeah. Were you finding momentum? Were yeah, Were you was- still connected to your? Broadway community? Were you singing or just vlogging? Everything. I was doing whatever came into my mind. I was being very ridiculous. You're cool. living life grande, performing, dancing, lots of theme park videos that went viral. 
Okay. Justin cool. Bieber gave me a high five at his concert, and then that was a million views in an hour. Oh, my and God. that's what made my channel blow up. Okay. Which was really fun. And then, you know, I had a half million followers. And then at that point, I was just, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing mm. in life, but I am obsessed with reality TV. I've always been obsessed with reality TV. I'm a diehard Survivor fan. And so oh. I created a Survivor audition video, put it up on YouTube. It had like a wow. minor viral situation, but what okay. ended up happening was I had, I, I had, um, I threw parties in my apartment in New York city, which we're in right now, like all the time. And so I had the cast of big brother come over for a big brother finale night. And the, the casting director was there and I showed them all my survivor audition video. And the casting director was like, wait a second have you auditioned for big brother? And I was like, no. And he was like, send me a video tomorrow. And I was like, what? Uh What?" And he was like, yeah, just talk just a little, like a little video, talk straight to camera and send me a video tomorrow. And I was like, okay. And so I did. And then I booked big brother from that. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's what gave me my big jumpstart back, you know, and I was Uh on big brother. Uh I shared on the live feeds that I wanted to be Franz and Rock of Ages. Uh-huh. And so you were I manifesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. I walked out of the house. The producer said, we saw you say you wanted to be Franz and Rock of Ages. So you're Franz and Rock of Ages. And I was like, yeah. what? So uh. then I was back on Broadway. And then after that is when I started doing my one man show. And then the creator of all of, you know, Victoria, Sam and Kat, Drake and Josh, yeah. Dan Schneider, mm-hmm. he came, uh, saw me in that show and was like, I need to put you in something I'm writing. Okay. And then several years later was created the role of Frankini for me on Henry Danger, which is ah, the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Love Listen, that. now I'm, I'm thinking of your trajectory and all of these amazing things that you manifested from just your positivity. But I mean, there must've been haters along the way and like how oh do my you, god <laughs> so many how do you deal with them you know and and especially when you're at a time when you know obviously you did have a journey in sobriety so like yeah can you speak to that and like just some of those totally. struggles yeah i mean like how if i you dealt feel with like was, it by the way you don't have to yeah yeah no 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 like i drank and drugged over haters a lot Like that was definitely a part of me that I was not prepared for coming out of big brother, you know, like I started, that's when it, yeah. Coming out of big brother. I mean, there were some hateful comments on, on YouTube videos, but I was like, that was, they were minimal. But then once big brother fame happened and big brother um, has an extremely very violent fan base. Like they are, did you see what happened to Todrick? Crazy. You saw what yes, happened to Todrick? Yes, I saw what okay. happened to Todrick. I know, I know people always have sort of like a split, but like I've only ever had a lot of love for him and he's always been so sweet to me. And he's obviously like a huge Disney fan, right? But like, yeah. I, I didn't watch it because again, I admittedly need to watch more reality TV. <laughs> I should probably because yeah. I would love it and I would get so hooked. I just started Drag Race and- um, What do you mean you just started I Drag know, Race? take my musical theater card away from me. But like, I only just started it and I was like, <laughs> oh, I was like, oh, this could be a fucking problem if I start watching Yeah. <laughs> Drag Race is unbelievable. I I um, know. I know. But yes, so anyway, I mean, yeah. is, they're very, very volatile. They can be okay. very violent and very passionate. Like, listen, I, I had mostly good things, but like as human beings, we're wired to remember things that hurt us from the caveman days, you know, fire, hot, ouch, remember. So mm. you're scrolling through your feed and you see one thing that says, uh-huh. you know, like, I uh-huh. hope you get AIDS and die. That was a great one. Loved That's those comments. Um, and I was like, and I was like, Yee! and you know, those kind of things, like yeah. y- the, that, those feelings, like there's two ways to get rid of them, right? Okay. You do the spiritual work and you get a therapist and you go through, you know, you, you pray, you meditate, you figure out like what you understand that that person that said that is actually sick themselves mm-hmm. and suffering. And you mm-hmm. find compassion for that person. And then you move on with your life. Okay. That is the difficult journey. The easy journey is to take a shot of tequila and forget that it happened. And party. That is the easy way. And also when you think about it, you feel loved, you know, like it's like, you know what, I'm going to go out, I'm going to be in my community and people are going to love me and we all drink and we all party. Cause I do think that, you know, when people go out to nightlife, they are seeking that validation, that love. hundred percent. I had a therapist once tell me that the easiest way to get a hug is, you know, 
that's like having sex with someone is actually the easiest way to get a hug. So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes that's why you're I've doing never it. Heard that. That's the saddest, darkest. Like that is daddy, so dark and sad. So daddy it. issue laden. <laughs> like I, I was like, I was like, oh, that's not true. <laughs> but like, I get it. Like it's 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 you trying to reset. You know. Okay, so then when yeah. did you realize it was like not too helpful? much? Well, yeah. I just stopped. I mean, I never ever, which is unbelievable. And to this day, I still can't believe that I never missed work, which is so unbelievable. And that's the discipline. I had some sort of willpower and discipline, which I think is why I have stayed sober ever since I've been sober, because that has now allowed, that has now taken over and been able to dictate my life is that I Mm -hmm. have this crazy willpower Mm -hmm. um, and uh, drive. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would not use at work, never would use at work. But then afterwards, so all I, but throughout work, I would think about using after work. So it would, it would be taking over my life. Like I would be constantly being like, oh my God, eight, three more hours, like, like two more hours. Like, let's go. We're going to have so much fun tonight. Can't wait to leave. Um, And so like, it was just, it was all consuming, even though I wasn't using professionally, which was amazing gift, but you know, I was still occupied. I wasn't, I wasn't capable of giving a hundred percent of my attention to the job at hand because I was thinking about partying after, after work. Well, what, Um, what, in what work were you doing? Was it a danger, Henry danger? uh, No. So this was Amazon style code live. I was a host during that point. Yeah. That show I did for almost three years and we did uh, live shows uh, five days a week. So that was a lot of that. That's a lot of work. A lot of work. That was after Big Brother. So it was Rock of Ages after Big Brother. This was after Big Brother. And then I got sober sometime on Henry Danger, like in, in that area. The, I was so, I was three months sober when I shot Drag Race season 10. Uh, Are you on season 10 yet? No, well, I'm when not. You get season, okay, I well, I'm on to. season 10. And when you see me there, I, yeah, I was a big, a big nerve, a big open raw nerve who was terrified mm-hmm. of everything because of my recent sobriety. I was just like a baby. I was like, what is <laughs> <laughs> it was just a lot. Um, so, but, but basically what ended up happening was I stopped being of service to my family and to my community. And I understood that I started mm-hmm. to see that happen uh, more and more frequently. I started realizing that people weren't coming to me with issues. And as, as you, as we said earlier today, like I went to LA to help my family. Like I went to be a part of my family, to be a part of the solution, to be part of it. And then once I stopped being able to be a part of the solution, I was just part of the problem. And then I was not part of the equation. And that was, I, that hurt, like, I felt that. And eventually I was like, it just got so bad that I was like, you know, I was just, I didn't want to live anymore. Like I didn't have, I didn't have a desire to live. Like I didn't want to kill myself. I wasn't suicidal, but I wasn't, didn't care whether I lived or died, which is not me. I love life. You're actually one of the first people since I've started this podcast. And I think it's been over six months or something where I felt like I could talk about my sobriety in a way that wasn't doom and gloom. And so I really appreciate your sharing. I don't have a sponsor. I'm not, you know, going to meetings, but I had a lot of Al-Anon. And so like I speak recovery and I understand yeah. it. And I I was an active, I was an active alcoholic, I guess, or binge drinking and whatever. I was in that sort of addiction phase of my life while I was going to Al-Anon. So I was like an undercover, Crazy. you know, like AA, you know, but like now it's like, you're I, like but that's, uh, that's the oh, other, that's my, in my so-and-so life, and me. my, this person in my family. <laughs> yeah. That. yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, I'm like, oh my gosh, let me sleep till like three till I can wake up to go to hide, you know? So yes. oh, shit, it was horrible. So what I find interesting about what you just shared is that, yes, we all have, as artists, identity crises at some point or another. It's worse when you're a child actor, too, honestly, because, you know, so much of that is connected to your childhood and what that means to any person should should look, in my opinion, somewhat n- not... Um, money should not be involved with the childhood, you know what I mean? So that mm. complicates that issue, and I think... When you're yep. monetizing your life so young, I, I, there's a lot of complex issues there. But not, that, that's not to say that people can't manage that. You know what I mean? And you've right. seen it. You've seen it work, I think, to some degree. Well, Ariana was never the breadwinner in our family, which oh, was okay. a yeah, big thing. Yeah, that's like good. we 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 witnessed other other families 
not succeed because the kids are the breadwinner, but my mother was always the breadwinner in our family. So that's amazing. It was, yeah, it was a big, it was a very different dynamic. When you're coming at it from a desperate place, which most of these you know, kids and parents yeah. are, it's a very different experience of essentially literally robbing the childhood from, and, and when you're monetizing the childhood. Anyway, I could go on and on about that, but no, you're, you're right. going through this identity crisis, which sometimes is why people give themselves like different stage names and stuff like that. So they can live through that identity to its completeness. But you, you still, as an artist, I do think you can't, you, you have to, you know, there's these books called the artist way, there's these retreats, but there's so many artists that do end up having, you know, certain addictions and certain things that, and that they don't have yeah. the support that they need. Right. But we want to kill the part of ourselves that we are confused by. And that's why what, what your share just kind of resounded in me was like, it's not that you didn't want to live. It's that you wanted that person, that version of you to go away and to just die. So that, yeah. you, so that the Frankie that you are now could live. Oh, I love that. Phoenix out of the ashes. That is beautiful. That's yes. your next, that's your next rainbow tattoo. Oh, I've got a Phoenix right here. Don't oh my God. worry about it. There you yeah. go. There you I've go. Got it. I want but a Phoenix yeah, now. Is, yeah. But then, no, that's a hundred. That's very, very accurate. I was okay with that version of myself ceasing to exist. Got it. Got it. And yeah. that person was so prominent that it was like, you had to like, it's like that Taylor Swift, like she's dead, you know? I had no idea what to do. I, I had no idea. Um, mm -hmm. And then I, I luckily what got to a point where I was so desperate that I, I asked my sister, I was like, yo, I need help. Okay. And she was like, cool. I know exactly where to take you. And oh, uh, nice. I got to a rehab three weeks later and stayed there for 45 days. And I have been sober ever since five years now. That's so good. That's so amazing. Yeah. So you had a positive experience in the rehab like the world. The best experience oh, in the rehab world. That's best great. experience. They handed me all the tools. They handed me the keys to the kingdom and I took them and I lived and ran with them ever since. Like even, you know, like That's pride. Amazing. Like I was talking to my friends and they were like, yeah, I was like, you know, like you want to come to this warehouse party in Brooklyn and you want to go do this and, blah, 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 blah. and like, we'll just do shrooms and we don't need to drink. And blah, blah, blah. California like, sober. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> California sober. That is not something I can subscribe to. I'm like, no, even if it comes out of the ground, I need to get the, it the fuck away from me because <laughs> if I start with something that came out of the ground, I will very quickly go to something that is man-made. So just like, no. Um, Girl, know yourself. Like, you know, know yourself. Know thyself, you know, like anything. I will, I'm still an addicts I'm just not yeah. using anymore so then it's you know it, I've I've moved to sex and I've moved sometimes and now yeah. I'm on a uh, binge watching like yeah. I am a binge watcher I'm like oh my god Stranger Things is coming out on Thursday <laughs> at midnight and I will stay up for eight hours and I will watch it like I'm fucking crazy <laughs> still but it's just not I drinks and drugs and alcohol anymore, I totally you know? do that shit I totally wait so is that okay like are you gonna be my you should yeah. be my sponsor is that okay it's okay can yeah, I Pinterest totally you should see my Pinterest boards because they are <laughs> a thing of fucking beauty listen I was like they were like I was like it's like people that are like I'm I'm, I'm gonna get sober and I'm gonna give up coca-cola and i'm gonna stop smoking and i'm just, and I'm just like no 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 calm down one mm -hmm. one life killing thing at a time and go in order of importance right like mm -hmm. drinking and drugging will probably kill you the fastest so good you're done with that then mm -hmm. then let's tackle smoking maybe maybe a few <laughs> months later then then we can deal with coca-cola you know like it's mm -hmm. like what? yeah yeah just calm down just stay sober right. and then right. you know we can you know you don't have to be a, a nun overnight you know, that's not that. how it works. You the know? hardest thing I think, and I have actually someone in my family who's on the younger side, who I'm seeing sort of inherit a lot of the chaos that I grew up with. And he's now, it's now coming out in a lot of those, those ways. And I love him so much and I'm so excited for his potential future. And so what I try to do in any talks that we've had is kind of just be like, Hey, like there's life on the other side of all of this. Like, that's so great that you can literally be a rainbow. Like you can literally find yeah. your purpose uh, your very short time on this earth like i think what yeah. happens when you're in active addiction is like you totally forget about your higher power and like yes like, right like like just do the next right thing is what i say just you don't have to know everything and what you're supposed to do and whether you're going to book that job or not it's like just do the next right thing and and eventually you'll get and the, that's it right that's it you know, like that's, I, you know, I was a, I studied Kabbalah before 
I got sober. And Kabbalah was actually something so helpful in getting sober because everything oh, wow. that we are taught in Kabbalah is actually in the big book of uh of AA. I didn't know that. I did not it know is that. all this it's all the same. It's oh, all the cool. same. It's the secret, it's Kabbalah, it's in the big book. Like mm-hmm. there's it's all the same. Mm-hmm. But you know, like the basic principle of Kabbalah is like we draw upon the light of the creator in order to fill someone else's cup. That's, That's what we do. We That's draw great. this way to go this way. We yeah. don't draw for ourselves because that is literally the definition of evil. That is selfishness when you pull yeah. just for oneself. But Ooh. if you draw from the creator in order to give to another person, that is it. That is our purpose on this planet. That wow. is what we do. And wow. it is so simple. That and really speaks- I think about it every day. That's amazing. Thank you. I love that. I'm going to try to read into that too. That's the one thing I didn't try. I tried psychics. I tried Buddhism. I tried, How you know, of Kabbalah. Pick up the book today. It is why not? wonderful. Wonderful power of Kabbalah. I think whatever's yeah. going to promote you to, uh, to it doesn't matter. You don't have to be like, you know, like Madonna and wear the red string to like make a mm-hmm. statement. Like that's, you actually understand <laughs> what that means though. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. do you remember oh, yeah, how everybody, do you remember how everybody was wearing the red string for yeah, a while? Well, to be fair, that is why I started studying Kabbalah when I was 13 at the Boca Raton Kabbalah Center, which was being built. So I did it in a, in a trailer that uh-huh. behind the, the, the site, the site, because Madonna released Ray of Light, and I was like, "What oh, the fuck God. is she on? I, I want some." I and so I started, but but for me, I yeah, I got really into it, and and it yeah. and it really does. It, it's just it's just good lessons. It's just yeah. good lessons. There's nothing crazy about it. It's just like like it's really good, good a, like a nice simple blueprint on how to like not go crazy. <laughs> I love that. Okay, yeah. so now being of service, and now you have gotten sober and everything you have this ideology now that you, you have as your mindset. When did you start being an activist? When did you want to start? Were you always Hmm. an activist? I started a charity organization called Broadway in South Africa for no idea why or what I was doing. Okay. And, but from that moment forward, you know, I, I, we went to South Africa and we, I saw the world and I saw like people from other countries suffering. And I realized like, I am a privileged person with so much to give to the planet. So from Mm. that point forward, I've always been invested in speaking up for the little people, raising Mm. money for causes that I believe in awareness. So I went from, you know, uh, I started at Broadway in South Africa and then I moved to build on and I built schools in Malawi and I built schools in Senegal, like myself went there, poured the cement and built the bricks. And it was amazing. And then started doing work with, you know, throughout the Broadway, my Broadway years, it was Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Yeah. And, you know, it Broadway was Bears, the, like all the Yes, fun of course. Mm-hmm. All of the, the fun things that I didn't so, yeah. understand how I was impacting people. I was just having fun. Right. Um, right but then right. I started to understand, no, I'm actually changing people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so then I started dedicating my life to the Los Angeles LGBT Center. And I have sent so many of my friends there in recovery, out of recovery with you know, uh, for STDs, for things. Mm-hmm. I'm like, go to the LA LGBT center. I've raised it's so much money for, for them and mm-hmm. they always pull through always. They're mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, now I'm working with glad and I love glad, you know, because as a gay actor who is invested in more stories of normalizing homosexuality and queerness and transgender. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I want that to be everywhere. And I was mm-hmm. so excited when I watched Dr. Strange and the lead girl has two moms. Like, I'm mm-hmm. like, so how, so, okay, great. So when your kid in fucking Florida goes mm-hmm. and watches Dr. Strange too, and comes to school and says, I watched a movie last night with two moms. You're going to mm-hmm. fucking arrest that kid. You're going to arrest the teacher because oh, the kid asks, Mm-hmm. You know, don't say gay. Like, well, mm-hmm. thank you. If it's in pop culture and it is so in your face and is so undeniable, mm-hmm. stupid fucking laws like don't say gay mm-hmm. will be will become unenforceable, stupid which is laws. what we need to do. Like, we need yeah. to just have those laws be unenforceable. So, and I think Glad's mission about getting queer uh, content mm-hmm. in every single house is uh, so important. So that's where I'm at, charity wise. Yeah. Listen, representation is so effective. I actually have even felt the the effects of that representation in my life because I think I was I grew up in the East Coast and yeah, we had we had certain people represented um and I grew up in the theater so I knew that in that particular space, but again, like I grew up thinking, you know, in the typical, you know, jock 
cheerleader mentality and it it fucked me up too because even as like a child actor i was like i should be this i should be that it's like you're fucking famous on disney channel every kid wants to be you but like i still wanted to be britney on the cheer squad like i've only started really understanding what what the effect of that representation can do by just equalizing things because you cannot deny that these communities exist and to deny it is just i mean yeah is it bigotry yeah but at the same time it's just facts. It's just what it is. And sometimes right. people want to deny and, and, and live in a hole. And like, we're just far too, we're far too evolved for that at this point. So absolutely. So and, and so, yeah, so you're doing all this, but you're now you're in WeHo and you meet your soulmate, Hale. I'm saying his name right, right? Yes. Not in WeHo. That is important oh. fact. Well, I, I, thought, I saw that WeHo. online. Okay. No, not in WeHo. I have exhausted WeHo. And so I went to uh, oil can Harry's in Ventura County. Oh, to, got it. So you were done and we yeah, went over to the I was valley. done with WeHo. I went to the <laughs> valley to find my man. Okay. And um, we were, I met him country line dancing at oil can Harry's. And adorable. he was so amazing. And he was on stage and he had gone uh, like every day for like two years, every, every mm-hmm. day that they had, which was twice a week. Um, mm-hmm. So he knew all the dances and he was so uh-huh. cute. And I was just like, mm-hmm. that's, he's amazing. And I was like, are you a professional dancer? And he was like, Oh, that was your line. That was your line. Yeah. I was like, hi, I'm Frankie. Are you a professional dancer? You're so good. He's like, no. And then he was like, <laughs> I'm a nerd. I don't. And then I was like, well, will you dance with me? And I was like, no, I'm a, I'm a nerd. And I was like, I'm oh. a nerd. And he was like, prove it. And I was like, okay. And so then we started talking nerd and then uh, he was like, uh, what games do you play? And I was like, okay, well, I play some Mario, Super Smash Brothers. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm mostly, a, I'm mostly a, a Switch main. And he was like, oh, um, what's your favorite character? And I was like, Zelda. And he was like, Zelda? Huh, that's my favorite character. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, okay, I'll dance with you. Aww. And I was like, okay. Aww. And then that was it. And so oh, we have man. been very blissfully together for three years. I mean, it has been, I, I, I joke all the time that like, him joining my family is probably harder than joining the royal family in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my family is amazing and they're yes. wonderful, but sometimes mm-hmm. we can be very grande, which, you know, is large and, <laughs> uh, and very Italian. And uh-huh, he's very okay. Italian too. I so get that. It's like he, oh my he God. He rolls. He rolls. Your babies. But, but yeah, he joined this family so beautifully. He's like best Aww. friends with my mom now, which is like really, really sweet. Like yeah. they have gone out on like dates. Like when I, since, when she was here when I was doing my show and I um, have been nowhere to be seen. And my mom was like, oh, hell. So then she started taking him to dinners and shows and they would hang out together while I was working. And you okay. know, they're very close now, which is awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's important. That's for sure. Okay, so you have to wrap up for your show tonight. So Hale and you have recently gotten married. Um, I wasn't able to tackle the whole not doing it at Disney, although you guys are super Star Wars fans and you had a Star Wars themed wedding yeah. i know we talked about the the don't say gay thing so yeah i mean i i obviously i would love to talk about that and maybe we could have a part two yeah i i just am so impressed by everything that you've been through and well, how, i can how, i'll i can briefly talk about it yeah I you can, can okay yeah briefly say it. yeah yeah i just you know like when we were getting married uh when we first disney was our dream our dream wedding and our dream destination mm-hmm. and you know it would just we uh the don't say gay bill came out and mm-hmm. you know disney was just silent and it was just so unacceptable to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the way that bob chapek treated that entire situation and you know the disney corporation knows like they were heartbroken the gay employees were heartbroken there were mm-hmm. walkouts you know and mm-hmm. so i just felt like it wasn't uh, the right timing for me to have a big really big gay wedding right, um, right, at Disney right. World. And, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I still, but again, like they know we still love them. We still did our honeymoon in Disney. It's yeah. just the act of physically getting married there. I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable doing it in that space at that time. And I think mm-hmm. Disney has made huge strides since then. And mm-hmm. if we had moved the wedding six months, it probably would still be in Disney World because I, I love them so much. And I think they're a phenomenal corporation. But mm-hmm. just at that time, it was just too soon. And mm-hmm. they, and Bob did do too little too late. He did. So, but they know that now. And they've they made are up for so, it. And the one thing I will say about Disney, and I, I've always been, like, obviously, if people are like, oh, it's and you, Disney. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Like, hate on Disney, hate on Disney. I'm like, I'm not going to hate on Disney. Like, I have, yeah. I have to be very, you know, blessed. Plus, it's 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 this massive umbrella corporation. But it's like this, there, there's so many versions of Disney. But the one thing I will say is that there's a culture of fear there because it is such a large place. And so people... People sometimes they have to get, you know, approvals and that process takes so long that it's like, 
It can be daunting, yeah. and then and then people don't act on things that they may have wanted to act quick enough, yep. and 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 there's ramifications to that. So yep. thanks for thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. And and how are you? And like you said, how are you guys enjoying the wedded bliss? And what are you like? Obviously, you're doing Titanic right now at the yes. asylum. People My show it. is open, which is phenomenal. I'm so grateful uh, mm-hmm. that our show is finally open, which will allow me to have more marital bliss because we're okay. not rehearsing anymore. I just okay. have to go to work at 630 every day and that's all I have to do. Um, and I'm, I'm just so grateful. Please come see it. You know, Yay. it is a joyful time in the theater. A musical parody of the film Titanic with Celine Dion's music sounds like the best time ever in a theater. And so I will fun. tell you, it is the best time ever in a theater. People are <laughs> roaring their way out of there just having the I best time. So we need, um, that. And thank you so much for having me. I oh my love God, Frank, you. Thank You're you. amazing. This was Listen, amazing. What we need a great to cook. conversation. We need to cook together because I yeah. just put two and two together that you're a paisan and we need to make meatballs and this shit needs to happen as soon as possible. All right, Frankie, break a leg. Break a leg thank tonight. You. We love you, Frankie. Love, love you. You're wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, where can we find you, Frankie? Yeah, so please um, come see me in Titanic. You can go to frankiegrandetickets.com. You can follow me on all my socials, which is at Frankie J. Grande. And take a listen to my podcast, which is SpongeBob Binge Pants on Nickelodeon, streaming wherever you get your podcasts. There you go, baby. Thanks, Frankie. Bye. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, bye, honey. Vulnerable is hosted by me, Christy Carlson Romano, produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham and executive produced by Brendan Rooney. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham, and our video editor is Eduardo Gamba. Follow Vulnerable wherever you listen to podcasts so you can join me every week for a vulnerable conversation. And be sure to follow Vulnerable on Instagram and TikTok at The Vulnerable Podcast. And make sure to tune in to my YouTube to watch the video version. 